0: Amen. Can we just celebrate together and thank the Lord for His grace, and it is very good to be together. I'll invite you to sit in here and pull out your Bible, and if you're at home, pull out your Bible. A very special welcome to all of you who are new to our church, or perhaps just new to an in-person gathering. It's great to see new faces in here this morning and welcome you. I have one quick house cleaning item that I want to talk about really quickly with the church about our service times. We've been doing a 10 a.m. and an 1130 a.m. in the morning, and we were stacking them like that because of limitations in the building and, and doing the live stream, and Basically, as we have prayed about our service times and as things are continuing to open up for us, we felt it would be wise to move back to our traditional morning service times of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And that starts next Sunday, all right? So next Sunday... All of you early morning coffee drinking worshipers can be here at 9 a.m. And, uh, and both of those services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., you can tune in on YouTube. If you're still wanting to worship from home, you can join us in the sanctuary at both of those worship times, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And of course, we'll be gathering here in the sanctuary together next Sunday. Awesome. All right. Grab your Bible. Pull out open to the gospel of luke here's what i want you to know this morning luke 19 verse 10 is considered by most commentators to be a one sentence summary of the entire gospel of luke a one sentence summary i'm going to put it on the screen and i'm going to read it to you here's how it goes For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There it is. The whole gospel of Luke, everything about the Luke gospel can be summarized under that theme. If you ask me, summarize the whole book in one sentence, I could not do better than that sentence. It's like the golden verse of the gospel of Luke. But can I also point out something else to you? That sentence is a mission statement. It's a mission statement. It's the mission statement of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. You say, why did the son of man come? What is the purpose of the son of man? What is the purpose of his coming to earth? He tells us himself, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I love that. I thought a lot about that sentence this week, especially those two words, seek and save. I wonder if for a moment you'll just think with me about how those two words sort of interact with one another. It's very interesting. We know, of course, they go together, seeking and saving. But also, if you think about it, the two ideas, seeking and saving, they're not exactly the same thing. In fact, often the saving part must be preceded by the seeking. And perhaps this morning, as I sort of press us into the text we're about to read, it's that seeking part that I really want you to think about. Because often when we think of the ministry of Jesus, we think about salvation. But I wonder how often we think about the seeking part. There's something about it that's relational. There's something about it that is particular. It's like a search, an all-out search. What are the kinds of things that you would go on an all-out search for in your life? It would often be the things that are most precious to you. And what I want to drive home this morning is that that mission statement shaped and directed and gave focus to every single moment of Christ's ministry when he, when he was here on earth. And did you know that in the wisdom of God, the mission of Christ has become the mission of his church? It's our mission. And not only that, it's the punchline of one of the most famous stories in the New Testament. It's the famous story of Zacchaeus you know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Famous story. That sentence is the punchline of the story. So now, will you read it with me? Luke 19, verses 1 to 10 is our passage this morning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And then we come to our verse, the punchline. And you see that word, the very first word in the sentence, it's the word for, and in the Greek, it's the word gar. That's a logic word. It means, and now let me summarize everything that you just read. And what is the summary? For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. You See what Luke is doing here? He's saying this entire story can be explained by this one statement. The entire story that you just heard can only be explained by the mission of Jesus, the son of the living God. He came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus thought that he was on a mission to seek to see Jesus. And he went to great lengths. He ran down to get ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree. Very peculiar for a grown man to climb trees. Today and back then, he climbed up into a tree. He wanted to see Jesus. He thought he was seeking Jesus only to discover that the entire time it was the son of man who had gone on an all out search to find him. And so it's really interesting when we study the passage to notice all the things that Zacchaeus is doing and we'll talk about those. There's lots of interesting things. But the true purpose of this story is to see what Jesus is doing driven by his mission. And remember in the wisdom of God, the mission of Christ has now become the mission of his church. And so how do we see the mission of Jesus in the story of Zacchaeus? Three things, I'll ask you to write these down. Three observations. Observation number one, because of his mission, Jesus was always on the lookout for seekers, always. We see this over and over and over and over in the Gospel of Luke. This hyper-focus that Christ had. Every day, every moment, every community he walked into, Everything he did said, every place he went, focused on the lookout. A blind man by the side of the road. A woman suffering for 12 years from internal bleeding. A leper, one of 10 who's healed, but the only one who returns to give thanks to God. A sinful woman who anoints his feet with her tears and with ointment. I could go on and on and on. It was his mission that drove him. Friends, think about this. That's the power of a mission. When you know I have a mission in this world, the mission drives you. The mission gives you focus. For Jesus, he knew his mission. It was his mission that set the agenda for each and every day. He walked into Jericho on this one particular day knowing that he had a divine appointment with a man named Jesus. Zacchaeus. Oh, how to live like that in this world. Do we live like that in this world? Did you notice what he said to Zacchaeus? He said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. What are you doing in a tree? He said, hurry down. Now look at this, for I must stay at your house today. It's very interesting. He doesn't say, hey, would it be okay, would it be convenient if I came over for dinner? By the way, I don't recommend this approach with people you interact with. I must eat a meal at your house today. No one comes to Christ after you say that, okay? But, but I do recommend, here's what I do recommend. I recommend the way that Jesus understood his life in this world. He was on a mission. He came into Jericho knowing I have a divine appointment. And I wonder, what would it be like if we lived our day day in and day out like that? I bet I have a divine appointment. If my eyes were open, if I saw the world the way my leader sees the world, Jesus lived every single day on an all-out search for seekers. I love that. I love that. We can learn a couple things from Zacchaeus about seekers. It's very interesting. We can learn a few things. Think about this. A seeker is often the last person you expect to be interested in a relationship with God. They're often the last person you would expect. If you had polled the people of Jericho and said, name the most hated man in Jericho, Zacchaeus' name would have been on 99% of the ballots. okay? 99%. He was not just a tax collector. Did you notice what it says? He was the chief tax collector, which means he was probably at the top of, a, of an entire sort of group of tax collectors. He was like the guy at the top of the pyramid scheme, okay? And that so he was wealthy. He was hated. He was like the last person anyone would think would be interested in a relationship with God. Have you ever heard people say, that that person would make a great Christian? right? No one ever said that about Zacchaeus, okay? There were bumper stickers in Jericho. That person would make a great Christian said no one about Zacchaeus, okay? He was hated. Not only that, if you had asked people, who would be the last person that would be interested in seeing Jesus? Most people would have said Zacchaeus. And yet, it's Zacchaeus who was seeking to see Jesus, You see that in verse three? He was seeking. Luke doesn't tell us why. We can only guess. My guess is he had heard about Christ's reputation. He had heard that Jesus actually chose a tax collector to be one of his disciples. He had heard over and over that Jesus would go and have meals with with the chief of sinners, with the worst of sinners. He He had heard about the reputation of Christ. I bet Zacchaeus wondered, I wonder if there's any chance I could have the privilege of hosting Jesus in my home today. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that every day you are crossing paths with people who are seeking Jesus and they might be the last person you would ever expect is doing it? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up and begin your day How do you see the day in front of you? Is it a day that probably has some divine appointments in it? By God's grace, I would say yes. A couple years ago, I was up early on a Monday. And you got to know Mondays for me are tough days, okay? I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm grumpy. I'm spent. I, I usually wake up really early. It was 5 a.m. And I was sitting at a Starbucks drinking a coffee. My attitude was bad. I was sleep deprived. I was sitting there drinking my coffee. And I noticed that there was a, a, a gentleman sitting right next to me. Remember the back in the days when people sat next next to you? Remember the good old days? Anyway, I was sitting there having a cup of coffee and I had a stack of books. One of them was my Bible and I was reading and I could tell he was looking at me maybe curious, maybe annoyed, I didn't know. And I honestly, I was like, Lord, I just pray he doesn't talk to me, please, Lord. That's how bad my attitude was, you know? And then I I, suddenly, I hear him, hey, sir, can I ask you a question? And I, uh, true confession, I ignored him the first time. That's how bad of a Christian I am, okay? I ignored this guy. He said, can I ask you a question? And finally, I was like, oh, yeah. And he said, are you a Christian? And I said, I am. And here's what he said to me. He goes, I am an atheist, And I've always assumed that science has disproved God. He goes, but I'm starting to really question that. And I wonder, have you ever thought much about that? Could you give me your best argument for why science has not disproved God? And I thought, dude, it's five in the morning. (laughs) Okay, but I would have never expected that moment to happen. It happened to me unexpectedly. How about you? Seekers are often the last person you'd expect. Here's another thing I want you to know. Seekers often face major obstacles. Write that down. Obstacles that have to be overcome in order to see who Jesus is. And the body of Christ should have a tender heart about that. Zacchaeus had major obstacles. Now look, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke almost never gives us physical descriptions of people. He was uninterested. But in this one situation, he tells us that Zacchaeus was small in stature. And the purpose of that is to say he faced an obstacle. That's why the crowds were preventing him from seeing. But of course, the reader knows that the the obstacle of the crowd, the resistance of the crowd was more than just a physical thing. It was relational, it was psychological. This crowd did not want Zacchaeus to see Jesus. And we should never lose sight of the resistance that many, many people face. Even from the people that are closest to them, sometimes family, coworkers, the communities that they, that they function. Great resistance to even considering Christianity. Have you ever thought about that? There are pockets of our world, and we're living in one of them where the idea of considering Christianity would immediately ruin your reputation, tarnish the relationships that you have in your community. And there are people who face that, even if they are interested. I read this week about the autobiography of a a famous art critic historian named Lord Kenneth Clark, He he wrote in his autobiography that he had visited a church in London, and when he was in this church, he had gone to look at some of the art that was a part of this church, but as he was standing in the church, he had a, a religious experience. He said, while I was in this church, I had this overwhelming experience. My whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy, far more intense than anything I had ever known before. But as he described it, he said, the gloom of grace created a problem for him. If he allowed himself to be influenced by his spiritual yearnings, he knew that he'd have to change and his family would think he had lost his mind. And so he concluded, I was too deeply embedded in my world to change course. And as far as we know, He went to his grave, having not become a Christian. And this is is our world, folks. And what did Jesus do? Now think about this. This is incredible. Jesus knows. Here is a man. He faces so many obstacles. Did you see what Jesus went? Jesus went so far to bridge the gap in love. In love. He spanned the distance that Zacchaeus could not span. Oh, Zacchaeus climbed a tree. But Jesus climbed up to a cross. Zacchaeus ran down a road, but Jesus Christ, the living Lord, he he walked across Galilee to have supper at Zacchaeus' house. How far would we go knowing There are people who face great obstacles with love in our hearts, making space in our world and our calendar and our lives to go the distance, to meet them in their world, to love them and to let the love of Christ impact their lives. In the wisdom of God, the mission of Christ has become the mission of the church. And you know what that means? That means it's your mission and it's my mission. Here's a second observation, because of his mission, Jesus had zero concern for the opinion of the crowds, zero. I don't have to spend a lot of time on this because it's pretty obvious, but just you've probably noticed that in Luke, the crowds don't exactly cover themselves in glory, right? (laughs) Have you noticed that? The crowds don't come off looking so good. The crowds would prevent people from bringing babies to Jesus. The crowds would prevent a blind man from receiving healing from Jesus. The crowds would prevent Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. And now in verse seven, the crowds actually turned their ire on Jesus himself. Did you notice that? It's actually one of the first times in the gospel, the crowds actually publicly and verbally criticize Christ, the living Lord. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who's a sinner. By the way, look up at the end of chapter 18 to figure out who we're talking about here. Because in the end of 18, the healing of the blind man, it says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. When they saw that, they gave praise to God. And now just a few moments later, when they see this, they're grumbling and criticizing. And you know what I love about it? Jesus, his mission is so clear. He has zero concern for the opinion of the crowds, for his reputation with the crowds. Why? His mission. He literally says to them, wait a minute, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Where did you expect that I would be going for dinner tonight? Remember when Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a physician, it's the sick. As if to say, would, why would you be surprised if physicians were hanging out with people who are sick? Why would you be surprised to see the son of man hanging out with sinners? That's why I came. My friends, it's time for some of you to say goodbye to your desire to fit in with the crowd. It might be time to say goodbye. Unless that crowd is a bunch of Jesus freaks, okay? A bunch of people who just love Jesus and they, and they love the gospel and they love the mission of the church. If that's who you're surrounded by, Amazing. But wait a minute, what if your crowd, what if the crowd that you're trying to fit in with actively opposes the mission of Christ in your life? It might be time to say goodbye to your desire to fit in. To fit in with that peer group, to fit in with those coworkers, to fit in with that social media feed. It's very possible that That crowd is going this way and the mission of Jesus is asking you to go that way. And what I love about Jesus, he knew his mission. It was so clear. He realized, I could care less what the crowd thinks in this moment. I could care less. If you lack a clear agenda for your life from Jesus, your crowd will set it for you. And that's why Jesus often ignored crowds. That's why he focused on individuals. That's why Jesus, when he walked into Jericho, he, he was totally not concerned about the crowd. He, it was very particular. It was very relational. He walked up to that tree. Did you notice he knew Zacchaeus by name? Can you imagine what that was like for Zacchaeus to have Jesus say, he knows my name. And I guarantee you this is hurting his reputation with the crowd. And look how he's treating me. The dignity that Jesus bestowed upon Zacchaeus by inviting himself to dinner. <laughs> I love that. And now we embrace it. In the wisdom of God, the mission of Jesus has become the mission of the church. Amen? Amen. 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 Third and finally. Third and finally, I love this. Because of his mission, Jesus rejoiced at the first sign of salvation. (laughs) He rejoiced. You see that verse nine, today salvation has come. I don't think Jesus mumbled that. I don't think it was reluctant. I think it was filled with joy. I think it was this declaration, salvation, salvation. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Salvation was his goal. And what did he see in Zacchaeus? In verse 8, we're going to look at it in just a moment. He saw this unbelievable sign of salvation. Incredible. Look at your Bible, and let me show you really briefly what we see. Zacchaeus is one of the very clearest pictures of many of the ingredients of true conversion. You say, what does conversion look like? Look Look at the life of Zacchaeus. Look what he does. Look what he exhibits. First, he exhibits public confession of Christ. He publicly stops and calls Jesus Lord, unashamed. Jesus, you are Lord. I love that. It's public. My favorite thing about baptism services is that moment when the person getting baptized just declares, Jesus is my Lord. I believe in the gospel. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. There's something beautiful. And we rejoice when it happens, right? Public confession, but look at this. It was triggered by sincere regret for sin. It's really interesting. The relationship between verse seven and verse eight, the crowds are grumbling. They're, they're, they're critical. But you know, it's interesting. Some of the people in that crowd had a legitimate complaint against Zacchaeus because he had defrauded them and he knew it. And as salvation is taking effect in his heart and he's literally being born again, grief, for his own sin against other people begins to set in. And he stops. You see that? He stood still with the crowd still grumbling in his ears. And he said to Jesus, you know what? I need to make a change. I've sinned. And then he goes on and he, and he says, I need to make restitution. This is another part of salvation often Involves making restitution, meaning making things right. A person gets saved, and sometimes they have a list of people that they've hurt and harmed in their lives. And part of the overflow of salvation is that you, you begin to go to those people and say, I need to make things right with you. Incredible. So powerful. Jesus sees it. He sees the signs of conversion. And what does he do? He rejoices. He was looking for it. He was waiting for it. And brothers and sisters, can I tell you something? In the wisdom of God, the mission of Christ has become the mission of his people. And I don't know about you, I want to wake up every day. And I don't do it perfectly, neither do you. We all can grow. I want to wake up every day, walking into that day, believing God you've got a divine appointment for me. I want to walk in every day expecting I could see signs of salvation in the relationships with people that I know and love today. I want to long for that. I want to pray for that.